Andy, you said in your prayer, Jesus drank destruction dry. That's cool. Man. The scandal, the glorious scandal of the Gospel of Jesus and why I love coming here every single week and singing, receiving the Word, receiving communion. The scandal of the Gospel of Grace, the grace of Jesus, is this... Just as an example, this uh, this week I was out at some property doing some work, and that's why my face is all busted up. Um, and uh, I've got, as Ransom says, just boo-boos everywhere. Um, and uh, poison ivy over here, and I, I discovered this week that I really don't like pin oak trees at all. They're just absolutely awful. And uh, you're tr- you know trimming a pin oak tree, and as you try to throw a pin oak tree limb, it catches your shirt, rips a hole in it, and then wraps around you and hits you in the shins, and, uh, and then scratches your stomach, scratches everything. And uh, the, the tragedy about my behavior on a day like that is instead of enjoying God's creation, the gift of having a day to work with my father, having a day to work with people, instead of enjoying that day, uh, in a moment when a pin oak tree wraps around me and cuts me, I internally am cussing the, the limb out. Um, <coughs> holding back no words, um, and uh, as a man filled with the Holy Spirit, a believer with a new heart, um, when I hear songs like that, I'm thankful because I think about a man who deserves to be condemned for hating God's creation, uh, who is not appropriately handling things not going right, and, uh, and yet in that moment, the scandal, the glorious scandal of the cross is that I'm viewed as, from my Heavenly Father, I'm viewed as a man who's perfectly doing the right thing. Instead of being counted as one who's doing this, I'm counting as one and cussing a tree limb out, I'm counting as one who is living that day perfectly, who's perfectly loving creation. That's, the, that's, the, that's radical, that Jesus, by his, by his work, He drank destruction dry for me. And even though on a day like that, I sinned against God, um, Man filled with the Holy Spirit, still just letting him fly. He blankety blank limb, and yet God is gracious to me. And so when I come on a Sunday morning and I sing those songs, I'm immensely grateful because I'm a man who needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And I hope that you're like that as well, that you think about those things throughout the week, and then you hear Andy pray, there is therefore no, t- no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Wait, none? Really? None? Um, because I deserve condemnation. And yet, I don't get it. So that's just incredible. And so I'm thankful for songs like that. Today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 to 22. And the title of the sermon today is Racial Reconciliation Through the Cross of Christ. Racial Reconciliation Through the Cross of Christ. I've struggled over the last couple years to know how to talk or discuss race, uh, ethnicity, racial just difficulties that are happening in our country. I put on the internet the other day, unless you've been living underground or had your head just buried in the sand, uh, you know that, that there could be more racial harmony than there is in our country right now. And if you've been like me at all, you've, you've wondered how to enter the conversation or, or even to have the conversation at all. You've ranged from confusion uh, to frustration to ambivalence, to just I, I, all over the map, when, when you see things on TV or see things on the internet, there's just really, from a lot of people, I think of just confusing, confusion about what the heck is going on. 
and uh, you hear just really difficult rhetoric on the internet or TV, and you're just uh, you hear white privilege. You hear about you know, well, if African Americans would do this or wouldn't do that, or if white people could just understand uh, the the cultural prejudices that come with just being being white in America, and um, all of this just confusion abounds. I, I've just been literally just at a loss of words. I, I just have no idea. So really, I've just not had the conversation. To be honest, I just hadn't wanted to. Um, when you watch TV, it's just, to be quite honest, I've just been annoyed with racial relations with, within our country. Has anybody kind of shared the confusion and the frustration and the, just the annoyance of it? Just, yeah. Yeah, just, and then people absolutely passionate that, that, they, that they're right, and then the language about, around why they're right is really confusing, and you just can't understand why they think they're right in this, and then the other side over here, it's just, it's just over and over and over again, just confusion. And this morning, I just want to keep it as simple as possible, and we're just going to look at the Bible's clear answer to the problem of racism, uh, the problem of uh, racial, con- even just confusion or ethnic confusion. We're going to look at uh, God not just doing away with our races, but bringing unity to races, bringing unity and bringing it, un- not, not even uniformity, but bringing unity out of confusion bringing harmony out of disharmony, and it happens through the cross of Christ. And so I want to keep it as simple as as possible this morning, but I do want to real quickly build the case to say, uh, as much as we don't like um, hearing about it, I want us to to, to look at one example to show that there is racial divides even within the church in America, and there really is some clear data about this. In our country, in the United States of America, 62% of of the American public is white, okay, so that's, that's a pretty large percentage. Uh, then down the list, uh, uh, 18% or uh, 18% um, of people in the United States are black. Uh, 6% of people of, of United States citizens are Hispanic. And then there's a smaller number of Asian and then um, Alaskan and Native American people. The, the list goes down, so smaller and smaller percentages. So the largest percentage is 20, or 62% white, 18% black. In Illinois, it's uh, 64% white. 13% black, 16% Hispanic, 6% Asian. Carbondale is 58% white, 25% black, 6% Hispanic, and 6% Asian. Now, we are, uh, as Christ Church, we, won't, we don't talk a lot of, about it a lot, but we're a part of the Southern Baptist Convention. And I just want to listen to these statistics about the Southern Baptist Convention in the United States, okay? And then some of the other denominations I'll list off. Southern Baptist Convention is 85% white. 66%, excuse me, 6% black, 5% mix or other, and then 3% Latino. So you can see pretty clearly that, that the percentage of just the population percentages of, of race within the United States compared to just the denomination are, are pretty skewed. So we're, we're a really white denomination. We're all, uh, I mean, almost 99% white. I mean, that's just, we... I grew up around white people, grew up in Marion, um, and so there was a little bit of diversity there. Carbondale has more diversity than any other communities but in Southern, Illinois, in Southern Illinois, but in Southern Illinois, you'll have completely white communities, and so people just grow up around white people. It's just quite common, um, but we see within the denomination, the, the diversity of the country and definitely the diversity of our city is not matched by the diversity of our people, and there's some other reasons behind that. Um, I think, but uh, but the the uh, the numbers do show that there really is some some pretty clear inconsistencies. Uh, it's not just with white churches; there are all black churches as well. Um, the Na- National Baptist Con- uh, Convention is ninety nine percent black, point oh two percent white, and other. 
Um, the Presbyterian Church USA is 88% uh, white. Um, the Anglican Church is 83% white. Uh, the Presbyterian, the PCA Church, 80% white. Uh, so, I mean, you can see pretty clearly that there are some, uh, when it comes to just uh, race, ethnicity within uh, United States uh, of America, there's pretty clear um, just uh, um, lack of diversity. I mean, it's just pretty white people kind of worship with white people, black people kind of worship with black people. Then there's Hispanic churches that worship with other Hispanics. And the question is, is that, is that the way it should be? And the cross is going to say, the cross of Christ is going to say, it's not the way it should be. Um, and so we're going, to, we're going to look at that. A couple of just to define some terms real quick. Um, there is a difference between race and ethnicity. Uh, when we talk about race, we're talking about uh, biology, like, okay, uh, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves little children of the world. Okay, that's, that's race. But ethnicity, you can be different races, but yet be from the same ethnic group. It has more to do with, uh, with culture. And so... That is a good distinction to make, but uh, clearly there is a reality that there is racial reconciliation. Just looked at the statistics, just looking at the statistics, there is some racial reconciliation that we can pursue uh, that needs to happen. Um, And so that, I think, is pretty clear. Um, So this week, what we're going to talk about, as opposed to last week, last week we talked about reconciliation between God and man. So men and women being reconciled to God. This week in Ephesians chapter 2, so we look at the second half of Ephesians chapter 2, we're looking about uh, reconciliation between, between humans and humans. So last week, reconciliation between God and man. This week, reconciliation between men and women and men and women. Okay? Interhuman relations. That's what we're going to talk about. Revelation, uh, Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. Uh, I want us to look at that real quick. So I know I already told you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2, but just keep your thumb there. And we're going to look at one verse really quick, and this is going to highlight for us the simplicity of racial reconciliation according to the Bible. Revelation chapter 5, and I want you to look at verses 9 and 10. I'll give you a second to look there. And again, I want to keep the rhetoric and, and everything just as simple as possible and try to, try to stay clear from cultural arguments or uh, we just don't understand this or don't understand that and just bring it to the cross of Christ. Here's what it says in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from God, for God, for every tribe, from every t- tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So in its simplest form, we can see that Christ on the cross purchased people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. This is not just even like borders of nations. This is different people groups within nations. That This is what Jesus has objectively accomplished before he returns the purchasing power of the cross will have its effect in every single people group throughout the world. And so within the work of Christ, we see this unbelievable unity that he brings together people from all over the world into his work. And so now, after we've read that, turn back to Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to see this unfold a little bit more. We're just going to go ahead and read the whole section, and then we're going to go back. So bear with me. I'm going to do a little bit of reading here. We're going to read 11 through 22. Therefore remember... 
At one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law and commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father." So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get into this. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for this this global truth, uh, this unifying word that tells us that no matter what race, no matter what ethnicity we're a part of, that we equally are broken, and we look to the cross and see the judgment over our lives, and we have a common salvation in the cross of Christ. I pray that those truths, Holy Spirit, that you would weave those truths into our hearts, into our minds, kill any prejudices that may uh, be either, even if they're not externally expressed, any prejudices in our heart even that are there. Um, God, I pray you'd destroy those today and just bring us together in unity. God, I pray for, uh, for this work to even go out in our city, that our church, that Jesus, you would build a racially diverse church here even. We just ask you to do that. Build your church here. We ask you to do this this morning, work in power in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, this structure kind of breaks down like this, the structure of the passage. First, the problem is going to be laid out. Second, we're going to see God's solution. And third, we're going to see the results. Okay, so the first part of the passage is the problem. The second part is God's solution. The third part is the results. So let's look at verse 11 and 12 first. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope in the world, having no hope and without God in the world. So the first thing that, that Paul tells the uh, Galatian believers is that you, or the Gentile believers, is that you need to remember the place in which you used to be. You need to remember this. And this is going to have implications for us as well. Uh, we in this room need to remember, and hey, welcome, by the way, Gentiles here. Okay, We're Gentiles. We need to keep that in mind. We need to remember there was a time that we were also cut off. There was a time that we were before Christ. The time, excuse me, that we were not a believer. So we need to remember and not forget that there was a time that we were without hope in the world. If we were to die before meeting Christ, we would not have him. And so we need to remember that. We don't need to forget. But as Gentiles in this room, we need to do everything that we can, as much as we can, to try to put ourselves into the minds and the hearts. It's going to be very difficult of a first century Gentile believer. And if you were hearing this, you would be able to remember pre-Christ, pre-Holy Spirit coming in, you'd be able to remember that at one time we were called the uncircumcision by who was called by the circumcision, that there was this Jew and Gentile divide. 
in the first century Jewish mind and down through the ages, uh, there was only, in the Jewish mind, there was only two people, the Jew and Gentile, the people of God, not the people of God. And the Jewish people had a superiority complex, I guess you could say, when it came to seeing uh, other people who were not Jews. Okay, So you remember the, the scandal of the, the story of the Good Samaritan is the fact that Jesus said that there was a Good Samaritan. What? The Samaritans are half-breeds. They're not, Jew- they're, they're not Jews. The hero of the story isn't the priest, isn't the Levite. The hero of the story is the Samaritan. It was scandalous. It was absolutely scandalous. So in the, in the mind of the Jew, there is Jew, Gentile. In the mind of the Gentile, they remember the time that they were not the people of God. And we need to try all that we can to think about the magnitude of what Jesus is about to say. There was this Jew, there was this Gentile divide, and there was within the Jewish people a racial superiority. So here's what I want to do for us to hopefully try to put ourselves in the mind of a first century Gentile. And I'm going to read this, and here's what I'm going to ask. I'm breaking rules of preaching because I'm going to read more than I'm supposed to, okay? And the fear of this is that I read too much, and you're thinking, oh my gosh, please just shut up and get to the point. Uh, But I promise you, if you listen to this, it's going to be tremendously helpful for us moving forward. So it's just, it's not really long. It's like a blog post. So I'm going to read this, and I'm going to ask that, that you just pay attention, hang with me, And imagine yourself, we're going to talk about a Moabite. Imagine yourself being a Moabite. You don't need to know even who who a Moabite is other than it's a Gentile. And I want you to put yourself in the mind of this and in in the position of this Moabite. Here we go. Imagine with me a Moabite of old gazing down upon the temple of Israel from some lofty hillside. The Moabite is attracted to what he sees, so he descends the hill and makes his way toward the tabernacle. So you there? You're on a hill? Boy, it's beautiful out. Oh, look at that tabernacle down there. It catches your attention. You start going down the hill, and you want to walk toward that tabernacle. Okay, so you're the Moabite on the hill. You there? Okay, you're there. He walks around this high wall of dazzling linen until he comes to a gate, and at the gate, he sees a man. He asks, may I go in there? Pointing to the gate where all the bustle of activity in the tabernacle's outer court can be seen. You still there? It's the last time I'll ask. Okay. Who are you? Demands the man suspiciously. I'm from Moab, the stranger replies. Well, I'm very sorry, but you can't go in there. You see, it's not for you. The law of Moses has barred the Moabite from any part of worship of Israel until the 10th generation. The Moabite looked so sad and said, well, what would I have to do to go in there? The man says, you'd have to be born again. The gatekeeper replies, You'd have to be born an Israelite of the tribe of Judah or of the tribe of Benjamin or of Dan. Oh, I wish I had been born an Israelite, though Moabite says. As he looks again, he sees one of the priests having offered a sacrifice at the brazen altar and the priest cleansed himself at the brazen laver. And then the Moabite sees the priest enter the tabernacle's interior and ask, what's in there? Inside the main building, I mean. Oh, the gatekeeper said, that's the tabernacle itself. Inside it contains a lampstand, a table, and an altar of gold. The man you saw was a priest. He will trim the lamp, eat the bread upon the table, and burn incense to the living God upon the golden altar. Oh, sighs the Moabite. I wish I were an Israelite so I could do that. I wish, so to, I, wish I could do that so I could worship God in there and help him trim the lamp and offer him incense and eat bread at the table. 
Oh no, says the gatekeeper, hastens to say, even I can't do that. To worship in the holy place, one must not only be born an Israelite, one must be born of the tribe of Levi Levi, and of the family of Aaron. The Moabite sighs again. I wish I had been born of Israel, of the tribe of Levi, of the family of Aaron. And then he gazes wistfully at the tabernacle door. He says, hey, what else is in there? What's in the... Oh, there's a veil, the man says. It's a beautiful veil. I'm told it divides the tabernacle in two. Beyond the veil is what we call the most holy place, the holy of holies. What's in the holy of holies? The Moabite asks. Well, there's the sacred chest in there. It's called the Ark of the Covenant. It contains holy memorials of past. Its top is gold. We call that the mercy seat because God sits there between the gold and cherubim. Do you see the pillar of cloud hovering over the tabernacle? That's Shekinah glory cloud. It rests on the mercy, said the gatekeeper. Again, a look of longing comes over the face of the Moabite. Oh, he said, if only I were a priest, how I would love to go into the Holy of Holies and gaze upon the glory of God and worship Him there in the beauty of His holiness. Oh no, said the man at the gate. You couldn't do that even if you were a priest. Only the, only the high priest can enter the most holy place. Only he can go in there. Nobody else. The heart of the man from Moab yearns once more. Oh, he cried. If I had only been born an Israelite of the tribe of Levi, of the family of Aaron, if only I had been born a high priest, I would go in there every day. I would go in there three times a day. I would worship continually in the holy of holies. The gatekeeper looked at the man from Moab again, and once more shook his head, oh no. He said, you couldn't do that. Even the high priest of Israel can go in there only once a year. And then only after the most elaborate preparations. And even then only for a little while. Sadly, the Moabite turned away. He had no hope in the world, in all the world, of ever entering there. Hebrews 10, 19-22. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that He had opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Friends, Jesus did this that the world may enter into the presence of God. Do you feel the anxiety, do you feel the weight of being a Moabite staring down at the tabernacle and wanting to be in the presence of God and yet not having any access to it? The hopelessness of being a Gentile in that day. And not as if even they wanted that. That's as if they wanted to be a part of the people of God. Can you feel what it may have been like for a Gentile of old? Paul says, don't forget. Don't forget. Remember, remember, remember. And then our first our verse says this, verse 13, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. How powerful and glorious is this? The Jew-Gentile divide is now demolished. It is now gone. Jesus brought the Jew and Gentile together. The dividing wall of hostility here in a second we're going we're gonna to see is destroyed by Jesus. This becomes for us now. Jew, Gentile. Now there's no Jesus brought 
peace, and he did this. This becomes our platform for talking about racial harmony. The simplicity of the cross, what Jesus did for not just white people, what Jesus did for people for all, from all over the globe. This becomes our platform. The blood of Christ is the center, therefore, of racial reconciliation and harmony. Here's, here's what I need to say. If we aim for, if we go out here and we just look at the, the, the global problem of racism and all of that in our world, if we turn on the TV and we just say, man, we really need to pursue racial harmony, we will not get it. But if we focus our attention on the cross of Christ, Jesus has a powerful way of building his church into a multi-ethnic global church. Like he does it. If we pursue racial harmony, we don't get it. If we pursue the cross of Christ, he does it. That's our hope here. That's our hope over the long haul. And I know many of us are coming together from outside of Carbondale, but the hope here, and we can't make this happen. As we point people to the cross of Christ, I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. Paul says to the church of Corinth, that's why we want to like scream with a big megaphone to Carbondale and scream to a big megaphone to, the, to right now where we live in Carterville and to every single city that we live in throughout southern Illinois is we want to point them to Christ and Him crucified and see the Holy Spirit point people to Jesus and Him crucified and their lives be transformed. Jesus will build His church. So the epicenter of the race discussion, it has to go to the cross of Christ. It isn't even, the epicenter of the racial discussion isn't even the image of God. The image of God, it required a, a canvas painted of many, many different colors to display the image of God. It took two genders, male, female, and many different races. That's the image of God. But when the Bible begins to talk about racial re reconciliation, it doesn't even call us to the image of God. It calls us to the cross of Christ. And it is true that we are all equal image bearers, but the cross has something more potent, more powerful, more unifying than even the image of God for a, to, to create a global community. The cross has the power to do it. And so the further we get away from the cross, the further we're going to get away from racial harmony. And so if there is racial disharmony, our world, the United States, Carbondale, the problem is... A misunderstanding of the cross of Christ. That's the problem. That there is ignorance of who Jesus is and what he has done. The more we understand the work of Christ, the more racial harmony we will see. And so when we don't see it, that's the problem. So what did Christ do? So number one, we see the problem presented and then we're seeing God's solution, the cross. Okay, verses 14 and 15, what did Jesus do? Let's explore it a little bit further. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. So here's how Christ did this. He abolished the law through fulfilling the law. And the big problem with the law is the law provides for the human heart a path forward into seeing yourself as superior to anybody. The human heart has a, a really incredible way of building the, the individual up. And when we see the law, when, it, when we're living our, our way, uh, living our lives according to the law in such a way that we're trying to justify ourselves before God, what happens is we will look for any way that, that I am superior to you. 
If I'm trying to justify myself in the law, I'll look for any single way I can possibly look to, to feel better about myself that I'm better than Hank. So I will do anything in my mind. My heart will find any sort of avenue to say, yep, I'm a little bit better man than Hank. And what happens is, for, for Jesus to come and bring racial reconciliation and unity, the law is going to have to be somehow fulfilled and abolished because what people are doing is taking a position of racial superiority to each other. This is how it works. I'm going to find, whether it's spoken or not spoken, we're building our case that internally, the internal man, apart from God's changing and transforming power at work in our lives, we're building our case that I'm better than you. And even if it means claiming a racially superior position, I'll do it. I'm better than you. I would never. We don't have these problems in our race. We don't have our pro these problems in that race. Is that race? I'm better. And whether it's spoken or not, these prejudices begin to hide in the human heart and be exposed. And even if they're never spoken, you know, have you ever actually met a race? Most racists say, I've got black friends, right? Every racist I've ever met has really tight black friends, so they say. You know? And these prejudices, they, they, they come out in the human heart. So Jesus comes, and he fulfills the law and abolishes the law, and we, now, we, we see with, very clearly that the law does not save us. The law doesn't, I don't have to prove myself to anybody. I don't have to internally build the case that I'm better than Andy. Or build the case that I'm better than my wife. Or build the case that I'm better than anybody to, to sleep at night. Because Jesus did something on my behalf. So Jesus comes and brings peace and tears down this dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law and commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. So this is what Jesus does. He brings peace. So if we understand that, if we understand that we don't have to see ourselves in any way superior, it does a remarkable thing by leveling the playing field. That I'm not better than anybody. I don't have to build my case that I'm better than anybody. And here's what we're going to see is that the cross, in verse 16, is going to provide two major, major um, uh, ways that the, the level, that the playing field is completely level. And it's going to make us one. So look at verse 16. It says this, And that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So here's how the cross of Christ unites races, the human race. Number one, it tells us this. We're all, we all have the same judgment over our lives. Every single race. We look to the cross, and here's what we see. And we've talked about this quite a bit. We see judgment. We see that all across the board, we are equal lawbreakers. Black, white, Hispanic, Asian, across the board, there's a cross that declares all of you, humanity, you have all sinned against God. Every single one of them. So here, here's unifying point number one. We find ourselves in good company, not good company, we find ourselves in bad company. So there's nobody that can stand and say, I'm better than you. I'm better than you. There's not a single person in the world. Because the cross screams to the world, you're all sinful. Every one of you. So the cross unifies us in our brokenness. We're unified in our brokenness. But the second thing the cross does for us is that it gives us a common salvation. That if we are going to be saved, we're going to be saved by one way and one way alone. And we're going to be saved by the cross of Christ. Period. That's the only way people can be saved. So not only are we united in our mess, 
We're united in the truth of the gospel of Jesus. Friends, here's how this works. Everybody has different passions in this room. You know, Dan likes building stuff for really cheap, right? Somehow or another, it happens. Built a whole, like, 18th century cabin, 19th century cabin. Can I brag on that a little bit? For 50 bucks. Like, it's unbelievable. Yeah, but God did it. God did it. Okay? Now, some other people in here may say, like, well, I, I don't want to build a cabin. Like, okay, that's fine. You don't have that passion. So if you get around him, you can't share that passion. You're just like, I don't want to build a cabin. Okay? Other people, it's sports. You have these passions. Okay? I love sports. I, I like the Cardinals. And unfortunately, Russ likes the Cubs. And so does Cody. You know? So does Cody. And so does Mason. There's a lot of Cubs fans. Okay? But you, but you like you talk sports and Cubs fans in the back. Yeah, the Cooter family. All of them. Okay? We're still praying. Altar call later will be for them. All of them. Um, and we're united in our passions. That's why you get around somebody that you like, that knows the things you like. You're like, hey, that's a pretty cool guy because he reminds you of you. You know, like, yeah, the same passions. I really like that guy. <coughs> but the cross says, here you go. You have something at the center of who you are. The thing that you're most passionate about, you share with different races. If you're purchased by the blood of Christ, you have a brother or a sister. The dividing wall of hostility is destroyed. You were both in the same mess, and you both had a glorious God who came to your rescue. There is the center point for racial harmony. Like, there it is. Well, put your arm around your brother. Put your arm around your sister, and they put your arm around you. And here we, this is family. That, that's the center point of the discussion. The reason there isn't racial harmony is because we're all fighting about law or fight. Well, if you just understood me, or if you just understood me, or I've got the superior position, or I've got the superior position, and here the cross says, no, you're all wrong. And you're all broken. And you're all sinful. Nobody's on a superior footing. You're all in a mess. As Russ said a couple weeks ago or last week, you're chained to the bottom of the ocean, and you need Jesus to come and rip the chains off and pull you out and breathe life into you. And if you've experienced that, that's the greatest unifying power in, of any message in the world. You put your arm around your brother and sister and you stand. So it's, it's, it, it, that is where racial reconciliation happens. Period. There's the answer. There's the solution. Put that on TV. Put that on, on the internet. Racial reconciliation happens at the cross. Nobody can look at any other race and say, I'm better than you. And nobody can look at any other race and say, I found salvation in a different way than you. God came for us, sinners, and saved us single-handedly. We share in that. The epicenter of racial harmony is in those two things. Jesus brings peace because of that, because of His work on the cross, and because He killed the hostility this is where this begins to play out. And this is why I, I truly believe that a majority of Christians don't know the gospel at all. 90% of people would say, I, I, don't, I know the gospel, don't know the gospel at all because we still see racial disharmony and discord like crazy out there, even among people who claim to be Christians. We still see uh, hostility. And where, whether we see hostility, whether it's racial or not, if we see hostility and lack, and lack peace in a church, it's because the gospel is not understood there. The gospel is not loved by people who claim to know the gospel. If there's not harmony and if there's not peace, the problem is they don't understand what Christ has done to bring us together. They just don't understand. That's why it's there. Backbiting, fighting, antagonist, antagonism, gossip, slander. 
that happens, disharmony happens, because there's not an understanding of the cross. And if we understood, then we would treat each other differently. So hopefully that happens here. That's why we're gospel-centered here. So Jesus, verse 17 and 18, the, conclu- or the, the outworking of this, is He came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. And through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. We both have access in one Spirit to the Father. Like we're, we all have the same Heavenly Father. If you're a Christian, we have the same Father. We're in the same family. And it's going it's to explain that a little bit further here in a second. So now, uh, what are the results then? So we've had the problem, disharmony. We've had God's solution, the cross. Okay, what are the results then of that? Now that we've settled that, those two things, verse 19, it says, so then, so then, okay, you get that? So that's connecting the last thoughts, the previous thoughts, so then, now what? Well, here's what we're going to see. Verse 19, 20, 21, and 22, we're going to see four outworkings, four unifying thoughts that flow from all of this. Verse 19 says this, so then, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Here it is. Uh, a new house. A new house for God. God doesn't bu- live in temples built by hands. Uh, we are a global family. If you're a Christian, we're part of a global church. And we've been praying for different churches throughout the, uh, throughout the last couple months on Sunday mornings, and I forgot to do that this morning. But we're part of a global church. Okay, so uh, there may be different churches, you know, an African-American church or Hispanic church or churches primarily white gathering throughout. But in this city, we have brothers and sisters. And it would be well for us to start to get to know some brothers and sisters and to know that we're a part of the same family. Um, It's easy to love your church, but not love the local church. It's easy to love your church, but not love the global church. And there are many people who love their local expression of church. Christ church, Christ church, Christ church. Yay, Christ church, Christ church. Uh Uh-uh. Like, that's why we don't even say that, that name very much. We have a couple signs. I didn't want it back here. I didn't want Christ Church here. Because my, my point is not for you to fall in love with the organization. It's, I want you to love Jesus and His bride. And so we've got to have a bigger picture. So this says, our working of the cross is we're part of a global family. Okay, Jew, Gentile together. Black, white, Asian, Hispanic, all over family. The family of God. Okay, so that's the number one unifying thought flowing from all of this. Number two unifying thought flowing out of these first two parts of the, of the passage is this, is that verse 20 says this, you're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. That verse has been historically, it's crazy how much controversy has come from that verse, but I just want to say it like this, we share, we, we share the same apostles, the same prophets, and we share the same cornerstone. So that reiterates the point that as the body of Christ, every single one of us have individually have the exact same cornerstone in our life. And so that's the unity. When we come together, well, I just don't know. Uh, I heard somebody say one time, uh, talking about a church they were going to preach at, it's an older congregation. Actually, it's applied to me because I've preached at a lot of congregations where there was like seven older people and like two of them were falling asleep. During the greeting time, they were like, don't worry about them. They, they sleep every week. They're like, all right, well, I just I won't worry about it. Um, <laughs> And, uh, but the, the point being, how do I have any common ground with people who, uh, like, that are just so different? Like, even age, if I went and, and, you know, preached somewhere in, you know, in the middle of Africa somewhere, what's my common ground? We have the same cornerstone. We have the exact same cornerstone. Same apostles and prophets. We look to the, the same Bible. 
The same words that came from the apostles and prophets, we share in love. We both, we, we stand together and say, these are the words of God. The same cornerstone we share. So that's the, that's the unifying thought, the second unifying thought that's coming out of this. The third one in verse 21 is this, in whom the whole structure is being joined together and it grows into a holy temple of the Lord. Uh, we talk about the temple. There, we literally are a temple. Like People talk about, there's all these end times debates about temples and third temple and when's it going to be built and when's it not going to be built and all that sort of stuff. And one kind of glaring, eye-popping thing that we miss is that we are the temple of God. The Holy Spirit dwells here in His people. And this is a unifying thing, that the household of God is the temple of God. Family, this is where God dwells, His people. When we leave, when we go out, we have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling us. This is a privilege we've talked about multiple times actually over the last few months. We are unified in the Spirit, the Spirit of God dwelling within us. So if we go and we worship with somebody else that's different than us, uh, ethnically or racially, we are unified because we have the same Spirit of God. The temple of, We are the temple of God. So there's a temple of God. The fourth thought is that we are Spirit-created and Spirit-indwelt. Verse 22. It's an, uh, verse 22. It says, In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Here's the, we're being built together, this continuing building thing. Here's the other, another final unifying thought is that and Andy and the team, you guys can go ahead and come up. Uh, we're all in process. Okay, The Holy Spirit is continuing. We are indwelt by the Spirit and we are being built into. God is growing us as a church family and He's growing His global family as well. But we're all in process. And, and this is something that can be quickly overlooked. When I was in college, sanctification was marked as a one-time event in the denomination I was a part of. So you're saved, baptized with the Holy Spirit, and sanctified. And there was actually check, check marks where you would say that I am now sanctified. And while I get there's a couple verses that talk about us in, in, in present tense being sanctified, we are set apart, the, the glaring hole in that is that we are in process. Nobody has ever arrived. We were not fully sanctified. And we're united. I love how Russ always says we're united in being toddlers in the faith. No matter where we're at, we're stumbling forward. We're just we're stumbling forward. I love there's this little, um, um, and stumbling forward into a finished work. Stumbling forward into it is finished. Stumbling forward into not trusting myself. Stumbling forward into being transformed by the Holy Spirit into the image of Christ. We're all in process together. There's not a single person. This is a, a powerful unifying fact. One of the reasons we don't confess sin in the church or we're terrified to is because we think that other people have arrived because we've acted like it. And we're terrified to be honest and act like we're being built, that we're in process. We're terrified to ask for help or terrified to confess that, yeah, I'm, man, I, I need some stinking help. And so we are in process. There's this online uh, uh, image that I love, and it's this picture of this older man, and I feel bad for the older man. He's probably in his 80s, and he's got a cane, and he starts uh, walking up this escalator. This escalator's going up, and in this little GIF, I think what it's called, but I still don't know what a GIF is. It's just like a moving picture, apparently, but people call it a GIF, I think. But it says sanctification across the top. And the image is this man, he starts up this, and he starts, and he actually like falls backwards. It doesn't look like he got really hurt too bad, but he starts falling backwards, and the escalator is still slowly pulling him up, but he starts rolling down the escalator as the escalator is slowly pulling him up, and he's not going as fast as the escalator because he's rolling backwards, but he's just slowly moving up, and it said sanctification across the top, okay? 
We're unified in that. We're in process. That's why we need each other. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to help us to be honest with each other and say, man, I need some help. We're pursuing Jesus together. And that's what also racially unifies us. Across the board, across the globe, we are all in process together. The Holy Spirit is working in us right now, changing us, busting off those rough edges in our life. Anybody here have some rough edges? Opening up blind spots. Anybody have some blind spots? The irony is you don't know if you do. <laughs> That's why we need other people to say, and I've heard this, I'm stealing this from, a, from a, a pastor I heard. That's why we need my wife to say, hey, Jared, here's a blind spot. And it's going to take me a minute to agree because I don't see it, right? That's why we need each other. So we're unified. So the, the race discussion, if you get in a discussion anywhere, instead of trying to say, well, you know what, we really just need to understand each other's cultural heritage and all that kind of stuff, say, hey, you know what, can we talk about Jesus? Can we talk about what Christ did on the cross? Can we talk about the fact that, that Christ tears down the hostility that exists between us? Can we talk about a world that's in disarray and the unity that would come if we gathered around the cross of Christ? If we all equally bowed before Him and said, I agree with you, God, I have sinned against you, but I agree with you that you've been gracious to me and you've come to save me. Can we do that? Because I think we might find ourselves in tears, arms wrapped around people that are different than us, and we would find the unifying center. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I just ask that, um, that you just work this in us. Maybe, uh, maybe some people here grew up uh, like me in a predominantly white town. Um, it Just have maybe prejudices in our heart that we don't, we're just unaware of. Or maybe we look at TV, the TV and we immediately make judgments. And instead of thinking about you and pleading for the advancement of the work of, of Christ to move forward, we immediately start judging. Say, well, if we just quit talking about race, all this stuff would go away. If we just start, stop talking about racism, there wouldn't be any racism. Blah, blah, blah. All that stuff. If we got center our hearts on you, the, the, the negative, sinful passion that, he, that has erupted over the last few years, it just it shows me, it makes me feel uncomfortable. It makes me feel uncomfortable about my response to, to everything that's happened the last few years. So help us just to come to you, Jesus, to bow before you and find our unity in the fact that we both, all of us, are sinners. And yet, there are some of us, by your grace, by your grace alone, have tasted and seen that you are good and have found forgiveness and reconciliation to each other through the cross of Christ. God, we want that work to continue. As we point to you, we decide not to know nothing among us except Christ and Him crucified. Jesus, I pray you'd build our church. Yeah, I, I would love that. If, if people here that are here on Tuesday mornings would be gathering here, we'd have people from India and Brazil and, and Africa and here in this country, Asian Americans and African Americans and Hispanic Americans, just people from all over the globe, that you would begin to do that here. Like, we can have heaven on earth. Do it. Thank you for doing it at the Vine. Thank you for doing it at Calvary Campus. Thank you for doing that at other churches that we see. God, thank you. It can happen. We want that to happen here. God, we don't want to repent of, of our race. We want to find unity. We want to find unity. We want to repent of sinful things in us. If, if there's anything sinful in us, help us to repent of that and change. Help us. Holy Spirit, just work. I trust that you will. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a really practical time to pray and respond. So as we sing...
You can just, God, uncover anything in me that needs to die. Any, any prejudices I've had, anything like that. Just respond to the Holy Spirit. We're a family. We can do that. There's no embarrassing things about kneeling and praying where you're at or finding somebody to pray with uh, or coming forward. I'll pray with you. Like We're a people of prayer. That's what we do. So you can pray. We're going to respond and sing. And if you want prayer, you can pray. Find somebody else. Pray with your spouse. Whatever. Let's let the Holy Spirit work. So I think there are probably prejudices in you that you may not have seen before and in me that need to die. So this is the Holy Spirit work. Let's, let's worship. I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ. His death and resurrection. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all men. 